Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. really want to thank the worship team. That was just really sweet, wasn't it? Well, for me it was. Um, I was sitting down doing some extra things with my uh, <clears throat> my message, but the worship just sort of carried the Holy Spirit. And it's just, I think because of the worship and the Holy Spirit, the message I'm going to share with you might be just a little better. I tweaked it just a little better. So thanks. Um, this is like the third time I've been with you this year. Um, yeah. Uh, if my girls were here, they'd go, Dad, don't do that in public. I go, why not? Anyway, I always hurt myself when I do that. That any, anybody really know how to do it? Like, get your head on a swivel. Nobody's going to admit it. If there's some young, if there's some young ladies, oh my gosh, oh Lord. Okay. Put a kilt on that man. <laughs> well, I'm going to pray. And I don't want to preach. I want to teach something. And uh, so here goes. Holy Spirit, um, you're the one that leads us into all, all truth. You're actually the teacher amongst us and in us. So personally, I lean into you. I lean into your ministry. Would you teach us? Would you impart to us? Um, would you just turn the lights on in our minds and in our hearts? Amen. Okay, I, w- I want to start off with a scripture that I, I, d- I just ran into. Have you ever just run into a scripture? Just... And um, it's in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And it goes like this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace. And it was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's that last verse I just want to focus in on just a little bit. And walking in the fear of the Lord, and another translation is, and being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, it increased. Isn't that interesting? Now, hopefully... Hopefully, being part of a church, it's not just that you get fed, you get to grow, and you have fellowship and all that. But, you know, the church is here for a purpose, and we're here to make a difference, to expand the kingdom, right? To, to increase and multiply our influence. Because, look, if you're not in, you're out. And if you're out, you're in trouble. I mean, it's like there's, there's heaven, and then there's not heaven. Um, there's relationship with God, and then, well doesn't matter what, what else it is. It's just not God. And our job, the, our purpose is to increase, to just little by little, in our own little way, expand. Now, I don't know. I like formulas. I do. That's just how I am. And if I wanted to multiply myself, influence, I would look for keys. And here are two keys. One is being comforted or strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to teach that. The one that I want to talk about is walking in the fear of the Lord. Now think about this. If I just started off going, hello everybody, 
God bless you. Glad you're here. I, I, I would like to teach about the fear of the Lord. And like most of you would go, you just turn out and go, the guy's going to yell at us. He's going to scream at us. He's going to tell us we should be afraid, shaking our boots. If we make a mistake, God's going to squash us, all that sort of stuff. But it's just amazing. Those things that kick in is evidence that the world has stolen perfectly legit biblical words. Here, I'll take an opportunity to make you turn off even more. Think about humility um, or sexual purity or submission to authority. As soon as, as soon as we say that stuff, immediately our brains go, oh, I've got to be a slave to someone. I'm not going to have any fun in my relationships. Um, and humility means I'm going to be someone's slave. People are going to jump, uh, walk all over me. But all that means is that the human mind and our culture has stolen biblical words and their meaning. I'm trying to remember, um, oh gosh, Princess Bride, anybody? Yeah. How, many, how many of you watched Princess Bride? Hey, listen, you all need to watch that movie because if you die tonight and you, you, know, you, you go up to heaven, they're going to ask, did you watch Pr- Princess Bride? And if you say no, this is a little place. Anyway, anyway, there's this, there's this really interesting thing where the, the, the short, real smart guy goes, inconceivable. And, and he used the word inconceivable way out of context and um, Indigo Montoya uh, he goes I do not think that means what you think it means it's just a really interesting thing and many times when we think of the fear of the Lord what we think it means is not what God intends for it to mean so I'm not going to teach on all these scriptures but I just want to run you through a whole bunch of scriptures to let you know that God does talk a lot about the fear of the Lord. But maybe you take your ideas and, and, and just hold on to them just for a second and then see what God thinks of the fear, the fear of the Lord. And you probably go, hey, fear of the Lord's a pretty good deal. I don't care how you spell it. If, if the fear of the Lord brings these things, sign me up to the fear of the Lord. Okay, I'm really I'm trying to sell you on the fear of the Lord. Welcome to Sunday morning. Welcome to church. I'm I'm trying to say, look, fear of the Lord, whatever you think it is. I don't think it is what you think it is. Uh, The fear of the Lord that if if you get it and grow in it, your life gets better. And you go, no way. It's the fear of the Lord. No, really. So here it is. Here's some scriptures about the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to teach on most of them. I'm just going to go through them just so you realize I'm not making this up. Psalm 85, 9. His salvation is near those who fear Him. You know how sometimes you know you're saved, but the idea that you're saved is just an idea? It's just not real? You don't have that assurance. You don't have that sense of connectedness to God and salvation. Well, the fear of the Lord gives you that sense that salvation is near. Psalm 103, 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. Like, the with thing, if you just work on it a little bit in the Hebrew, the with really means like getting up close and personal. If you're married... If you're married, you know what it is. You're married, you love each other and all, but you're a million miles away. I mean, even in the same room. 
fighting over the same remote control. All right? You're with each other, but you're not with each other. But, but those times when oh, we're just with each other. That's what that's talking about. The fear of the Lord, His love is with us. It's not just an idea, not something we disagree with. It, Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confides in those who fear Him. He's not a gossip. God's not a gossip. But He confides in those who fear Him. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine being that close to God? Just connecting with God because you fear Him, whatever that is. And He goes, hey, come here. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something that I'm not telling a whole bunch of other people. Wouldn't that be cool? And then it says, and He makes His covenant known to them. Now, um, we're in the new covenant. You know, Jesus died for us um, and you know, forgave all our sins. It says that when it says to make his covenant known to us, it's to make his covenant real to us. Many of us know we're saved. We know the doctrine of salvation. And we believe in it. And with our heart we believe and we're saved. But it's not real to us. Those who fear the Lord, the covenant's real to us. This is all always fun. One time I shared this with my kids and then they looked out the window. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Really? My oldest went, wanted to see if there was an angel outside. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. The sense of knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you're protected. Psalm 128.1, blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in His ways. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. Oh, sign me up for that. Whatever the fear of the Lord is, sign me up, because I'd like to live a life where I, I have this sense that I lack nothing. Y'all are looking at me like, isn't there another way? <laughs> uh, Psalm 145, verse 19. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and He saves them. How many of you know that God has put certain passions, cer certain passions in your heart, certain desires in your heart? Not just, I really want a Corvette. I'm talking about, well, that's... It could be a godly passion, but not this week. Um, but, well, you just know God has put some passions, and you're going, well, how come this isn't happening? There it is. God fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry, and He saves them. And the word save there means He makes them whole. The fear of the Lord sounds a little better, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know a lot of people who think they're smart enough to know so much about, about God that they're entitled to connect with God in, in a real personal way. And he's just saying, no, let's turn that around. The fear of the Lord, whatever that is, connecting with God in, in, in a real, real way, that's the beginning of the wisdom. Um, Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Hear this. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Proverbs 22, 4. 
humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Proverbs 8.13, it says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil, as opposed to cutting a deal or living a balanced life. God, I know you love you, you'll always forgive me, and I'm going to play in this area that I know is going to destroy me um, and maybe hurt other people. Right? After a while, you know, the fear of the Lord doesn't make you hate people. But it goes, ooh, how could I do that? Ick. Ick. That thing is unrighteous. No matter how much I want to do that. Ick. That's something, just ick. And you hate it. Have you ever hated something that you just, I'm not going near that. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man and a woman from the snares of death. Think about it. How many, well, don't raise your hands. How many of you, you're living your own life and you go, I don't know if this is right, God, but I'll try it anyway. Oops, you're in a ditch. You know, that relationship where everybody and their mother is going, don't do it. He's a dog, right? And you go, no, I really love him and he really loves me. I believe the Lord's in it, you know? And boom, you're in a ditch. The fear of the Lord, y'all laughing. Yeah, you know friends like that. Anyway, um, It'll turn a person from those really nasty mistakes. Uh, Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content and untouched by trouble. No, it doesn't say there will be no trouble. But what it says, when you have the fear of the Lord, you can rest uh, content and you're untouched by trouble. You care about trouble. We all have difficulties. We all have challenges, things we really care about. But it doesn't steal our peace. It doesn't steal our confidence. We carry with us sort of the eye of the storm. Wouldn't it be good to live like that without medication? You know what I'm saying? So the fear of the Lord usually elicits this reaction but when you take our reaction and put it next to Scripture, you'd probably go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to toss that reaction. I'm going to toss what my mind and what the world has tried to convince me the fear of the Lord is. And my gosh, I'm not criticizing anybody, but only an idiot wouldn't want the fear of the Lord. Think about it. There's nothing here. That people would, no, 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 I, I don't want any contentedness. I don't want blessings. You know, I, I, I don't want to feel safe. I mean, the, these are all basic things that every human being would go, give me some of that. I want a little bit of some of that. And God's going, you want some of that? The fear of the Lord is the key. Which would elicit the next, these next two questions. You know, Fear of the Lord is important, right? Two questions. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? That would be a good thing. Whatever the fear of the Lord is, it produces this stuff, okay? It, it sets us on a path where we can increasingly experience all these really cool things, but it would be a good idea. So what is it? And the second question, which is for me like the bottom line, how do I get it? How do I get it? I mean, can I get it on Amazon? Really? I mean, Amazon Prime, can I get Fear of the Lord 
uh, by next Tuesday. I'm going to give you a very simple working definition of the fear of the Lord. Okay? The fear of the Lord involves the revelation. I'm going to stop right there. There are things that we know, and there are things that we know that are real to us. Like many pe- there are many people that go to church. They have a love for God, and they go to church, they try to be good and all. And they know that Jesus is Lord, Jesus forgave all their sins. And they know it, but there's no aha. There's no revelation. There's no, oh, that's real. Because <clears throat> that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When, when all of a sudden you get it, that God turns the light on, you go, it just changes everything. When, when you just get the revelation, it doesn't have to be spooky. When you read Scripture, if you read Scripture, there are times when you read and a portion of Scripture jumps off the page. And it gets your attention and you learn something that you, didn't, you thought you knew before, but you learned it in a whole different way. It's real to you. It, it, it moves you. It changes how you think and feel. Okay, So that's what I mean by revelation. The fear of the Lord, it involves the revelation that, and then there's four things. Okay, Jesus is a real, present, and loving person. There are many people who don't believe that. Or there are many people who believe that, but it's not real. It's just not real. But, but Jesus Christ, is, He's real. He's not an idea. He's not the guy upstairs. Jesus is real. He's present. He's not distant. He's present. Have you ever, ever been around someone that cares about you and they just want to engage your life? They're present. They're not, he's not an absent Savior. He's a present Savior. Jesus is real. He's present. And He's loving. Many people, many people who are going to heaven still have not had the revelation of just how much Jesus loves them. And it's not the enabling kind of love where Jesus goes, there, there, you, you know, man, it sucks being you, but I love you anyway. He's not doing that. There's a kind of love when you experience His love. It's the kind of love that has so much power it'll drive out all fear. That's what the Scripture says. So, so Jesus Christ, not Christianity, not church, but Jesus Christ is a real, present, and loving person. When you get the aha, it changes things. It just changes things. Here's the second one. Jesus actually means everything he says. And, and he backs up everything he says. Now, this is where you've got to know a little bit of Scripture. Because a lot of what Jesus says is it's in the Bible. And when Jesus says something, you, you, know, you don't go, oh, well, that's just a hyperbole. Or he's just trying to gather a crowd. Or, you know, what? No, really, Jesus... If you look at Scripture, God really says what He means. Like, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. Jesus said that. It's like, I'm the only way. I mean, He really means it. He doesn't sit there and go, well, your sincerity coupled with Jesus will get you in. But if you have another person 
as a candidate who will place me, your sincerity is enough to get you. No, Jesus really means what he says. Right? And he backs it up. Have you ever had parents who go, my mother used to do this, bless her heart. She used to go, you know, we'd be messing around. She goes, if you keep on doing this, I'm going to put you in a box and send you to China. (laughs) That's what she used to do. And, you know, me and my sister would go, like, because we knew she wouldn't do it. Oh, my gosh. If she had only said, that's it. That's it. And just put us in a big box. And you hear the duct tape. You know what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. Another story. My dad, he did this. This is funny as heck. Um, I was from New Jersey. Uh, We're living in New Jersey. We're going to Chicago. We had family in Chicago. We decided to drive. Anyway, Interstate 80, just going, and me and my sister are just having a time. Well, actually, I'm, I was being mean to her. And she said, Dad, he's doing this again. I am not. You know, that kind of thing. And my dad says, Son, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull to the side of the road, and I'm going to kick you out of the car. And I'm going, Oh, this is just one of those little China things. Right? Well, I kept on poking her. He pulled to the side, and he goes, Get out. What? Yeah, get out. No. Dad. I said get out. When my dad brought his, I said get out. Then I, hmm, I, better, I got out. I'm eight, nine years old. And I got to the side of the road, and he takes off. And there's trucks and all. I'm just standing there going, man, yeah. <laughs> right? And easily maybe 150 yards. I mean, he'd taken off 150 yards. And then he pulled to the side. Did he back up? No. <laughs> Not at all. I had to walk there. 150 yards. You know, I was real nice to my sister. <laughs> you know, it's just really weird. There's something about what Jesus is... When he says something, he means it, and he'll always back it up. You know, for better or worse. All right? He'll always back it up. There's something when you realize that Jesus is not this, like, befuddled grandfather... Who goes, yeah, I'll send you to China. Yeah, that's grandpa. No, Jesus always means what he says. He is faithful. Third, Jesus is who he says he is. Now, this is where things get a little touchy. Jesus is God. Okay? Jesus is God. And what that means, what the, he's God the Son, means he knows everything. He knows everything. And he can do anything. He's all-powerful. And here's the thing that really will bother all of us. He's always right. Have you ever taken your best opinion, your most sincerely held opinion, and have that come next to Jesus' opinion in Scripture? It could be how you deal with your anger, how, how you do marriage, how you do being... Um, you know, um, a, a child, uh, how, you, how you do being a parent, all that. And you all got some ideas. You know how you were raised. You all got opinions. And you've read some books, right? And you bring all that. And then there is Scripture saying, look, love one another as I've loved you. Forgive one another. But, right? Or, you know, uh, parents, um, you need to deal with your children instead of enable them. You know, there's a whole bunch of things. And I'm not going to do the husbands and wives things because I, I got you now. And if I talk about that, I'll lose you. I don't want to lose you. 
But how, how many times do we take our ideas, put them next to God's, and at the very least, we try to cut a mutual non-aggression pact? But Jesus is always right. On our best day, with the most coffee or caffeine products we have, with a full night's sleep, our very best opinions, just they don't, they don't match up to God's opinions because Jesus is God, all right? And then here's the fourth one. This is where the rubber meets the road. Don't get religious on me. Jesus deserves our wholehearted devotion. I mean, he's real. He's honest. He's clear. He means everything he says. He's faithful. And he's God. He's always right. All right? That means he deserves our wholehearted devotion. What does wholehearted devotion mean? Become sort of you know, a slave, some hunchback. Yes, master, I'll do whatever you want. No, 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 no. Jesus is worthy of our highest priority in how we're to think, how we are to feel, and how we are to act. Does Jesus love us even if we think, feel, and act in ways different than his? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, before we even came to him, Jesus died for us, and we didn't think right, we weren't feeling right, we weren't acting right. Actually, before we received Jesus, no matter how good we thought we were, we were actually enemies of God. We were in darkness. It was worse than we knew. So his love's not on the, on the table. But when you get the revelation that Jesus is real, he's, He's present, He really loves me, He means everything He says, and He always backs it up, and He's God, you start going, hmm, maybe, maybe He, His ideas, His ways should have priority in how we think, how we feel, and how we act. Now, now I'm, I've almost lost you, but that's okay. Here are some of the obstacles to the fear of the Lord. One I didn't have down here is a lot of people just, given what I just said, they just tune out because they go, well, I'm not there, and I, since I'm not there, might as well give it up. Might as well give it. God is a wonderful Father, and He goes, the fear of the Lord. He wants to grow us into it. That the more we grow in the fear of the Lord, the more we learn to live in the fear of the Lord, then we start experiencing some of the benefits of living in the fear of the Lord. So it's not an all or nothing thing. Okay? So just just relax. So here's the first, first obstacle. One is ignorance. This is like one of those, we don't know what we don't know. Another form of ignorance is, our ideas of the fear of the Lord are very different than God's. And sometimes we, you know, unintentionally, we're ignorant. You know, not in the southern way, you're ignorant. But I'm talking about, we don't know what the fear of the Lord is, and so we stay away from the fear of the Lord based on this false idea. So sometimes we're just ignorant. Second, sometimes it's arrogant. Now, I struggle in this area as much as you do. Arrogance 
is sometimes we think, well, I'm going to live my life the best I can, and if I need God, I know He's a convenient resource. It's a kind of arrogance. But the real arrogance comes when we go, I know, God, what you say, and I know what I think, and I've got a better idea. Am I the only person who's had that? I mean, it's so, it's so easy to go, you know, I know people who've been Christians for a long time. They, they're successful in business, and, you know, they've done this and that and this and that, and they don't think they have to grow anymore. They don't think they have to grow anymore. Meanwhile, God's sitting there going, I think it would be great if you become an Abram. Meanwhile, his wife is going, I ain't getting pregnant. We're way too old for that. But the arrogance of thinking that you got a better plan for your life than God. It's an arrogant. I do this, and so do you. We have this little arrogant thing. Here's another one. A divided heart. A divided heart is you, let, you have a love for God, but there are competitors. If you look in Psalm 86:11, you can see how, how this works. Lord, oh Lord, teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. You give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. Have you ever been divided? There's your business, then your ideas is success, and this and that, and then there's God. And you, and you think you've got to juggle it all, and actually you're, you're making God one of your many idols. And so you got all that, and how do you fix that? How do you change that? How, how do you get a more streamlined view of your life? Well, you go to God, say, God, I have a divided heart. I've got idols here. Uh, I worship my past. I keep on looking at my future on the basis of what happened before. My past is an idol. There's all these things. Lord, would you give me an undivided heart so that I may fear you? Isn't that interesting? We don't have to give ourselves an undivided heart. All we got to do is acknowledge that we have a divided heart and go to God and say, hey, would you just sort of, re- would you show us how to, show me how to reprioritize? God's a genius. So a divided heart. Another one is unconfessed sin. In Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4, but here's the end. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. This is really interesting. When people Try, try to live two lives and they do a little bit of this, they do a little bit of that, but they love God and everybody thinks they're doing all right. God's not growling at them, but they're living, they're living two lives. And many times we're just ashamed that, oh yeah, I got this thing, or I've harbored, harbored bitterness, but, or, you know, I actually do think I'm better than all those other people. I've got pride. But we don't say anything about it. You know what that does? That pushes away the sense of the uh, presence of God. But here's what's interesting. When we take our nasty hidden self and bring it to God, what does Scripture say? When we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to not only forgive us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that it? When we take the thing, our, our hidden stuff, or the things that we're doing on purpose that we know are not pleasing to God, when we take that to God, we experience His forgiveness. 
And when you experience His forgiveness, when you experience His love, when you take these things and you confess them, I'm doing this, I'm stuck here, you go to God, guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive you and start working on your heart. When you experience that, you go, God's real. The beginning of the fear of the Lord. When we experience His forgiveness, we start having the fear of the Lord, which, as we saw, provides a lot of benefits. There's another thing, you know, the fear of the Lord will always compete with a whole bunch of other fears, like the fear of the devil. I mean, people go, okay, look at all the evil that's coming across all the nation. This is wrong. And it is. Look at all the darkness coming all over our land. And it's dark. But the, the fear of everything, God's sitting there going, hmm, why don't you just sort of fear me? The fear of the Lord will put all this bad, nasty stuff in its proper perspective. It just does. It doesn't deny all this. But when the fear of the enemy, or when the fear of those people who have a political persuasion other than you seem to have power, whoa, what are we going to do? The fear of the Lord keep you anchored. Or the fear of failure. Or the fear of the future. Fear. Pick your fear. The more that grows, the less the fear of the Lord is real in your life. It just is. I mean, I could give you 8 million testimonials from my own life. on how as I allow fear in a certain area. Fear I'm not going to make enough money. I won't be able to provide. I won't be able to do this. When I do this, when, when, when fear becomes what drives me, then the fear of the Lord becomes very distant. And I don't experience a lot of the things that are the benefits of the fear of the Lord. Here's another one. Fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25. It says, uh, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. All of us, all of us, if we're smart, if we're wise, when we're, we're making decisions of what to do, what to say, and all, all of us should take into account what other people think, what they might say, and what they might do. That's wisdom. I mean, if I go plan a vacation for my family, and I, I, I'd be really smart to say, hey, kids, what do you want to do? You know, and, and I don't... I want to get an idea of the impact of what I'm going to do. That's wisdom. To care about what other people might think or do. The fear of man is different. It's a trap. It'll hold you captive. The fear of man says, Well, I have an idea what I should do. But what other people might think, what other people might say, and what other people might do, that carries more weight with me than doing what God wants me to do. The fear of man, the fear of disapproval, the fear of rejection. I've known so many people, they want to go to God, but they got these friends who are about to save these Easter eggs. And, you know, they're just, you know, I mean, I mean, and they say, I know I want life, but man, I don't want to reject these. And man, if I do reject these guys, well, no, if I do follow God, they're going to think I'm rejecting them. Even though I'm not rejecting them, well, I'm, I'm going to try to do both. And you're trapped. 
There's this guy, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's uh, with the Lord, but um, he was one of the last guys to die in World War II uh, in, in Europe. And he, um, in this, uh, this book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes this. He who fears the Lord can't fear man. He who fears man can't fear the Lord. And when you think about it, that's true. You know? Look, there, there are times I don't want to say things to my wife. Because what she might say or do. You know what that drives me to do? Not to live two lives. It drives me to ask God for wisdom on how to communicate to my wife. Do you know what I'm saying? So, our ideas of fear of the Lord many times don't line up with Scripture. When we find out what the fear of the Lord really is, my gosh, it's a key to so many other things that we only could w- wish we could touch. The fear of the Lord is actually pretty simple. It's not easy. And God's got solutions to dealing with our obstacles. He knows our obstacles better than we do. What's his solution? You ready? Sometimes Christianity is so simple. I can't, I don't even, I'm not necessary. (laughs) This is how you get the fear of the Lord. Just spend some time responding to Psalm 34, verse 11. Think of this. God is saying, this to everybody who's listening to me whether you're old and think you know stuff or you're sitting there going man I'm not even in anybody God's going come to me come my children and start listening to me just do that I mean you're going to listen to a whole bunch of other things but still just start listening to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And that word teach is not just an academic thing. Have you ever had a really good coach? They teach it to you. They show you the videos. And they go, okay, let's go to the field. And it's like you know what to do. You've seen it done. But that's not how you do it. And you got a coach who doesn't beat you up when you first try it. The coach doesn't go, no, that's not it. You go, no, let's try this. Go back again. And there's something about the really good coach who will take you from where you are and bring you where you, to, where you need to be. And actually, the really, good, the really good coach, if you don't want, if you really don't want to reach here, he'll go fine. But if it's in you, a good coach, he'll take you all the way. And God's a great coach. Now, think of it. This is just personal. Let's go back to Acts 9.33. Think of this. And walking in the fear of the Lord. Can you imagine if a bunch of us, just little by little, just let's make it a priority. God, would you teach us, would you coach us in the fear of the Lord? If we would do that, right? Would you do that for us? The promise is, will multiply. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.